Isn't it a wonderful thing to be able to gather together with God's people? I want you to know that I have no illusions today that I'm going to say anything that you've not heard before about the, the birth of Jesus. But I hope that we can take these next few minutes together and, and, and we can remind ourselves once again of the greatest gift that's ever been given. The Christmas story is, is more than a story about the birth of a child. It's a story about the, full, the faithfulness of God. It's a story about the providence of God and how he has worked throughout history to fulfill his promise. The promise of redemption that was made so long ago, we can read about in Genesis chapter 3. Since the sin of Adam, I'm sure that people have, have wondered to themselves and maybe cried out to others, how is God going to carry out this promise. How is he going to be able to fulfill the promise that he's made, that promise of redemption? The promise that he made to Abraham that through his seed all nations would be blessed, that all people everywhere would be blessed because the product of the seed of Abraham. That promise he made to David so long ago that one of his descendants would sit on the throne and rule and reign forever. Those promises were fulfilled in the birth of a child. That child would be born by the providence of God at the right time to the right mother in the right place. The time and place of God's choosing. So the nativity of Jesus is important. It's important because that night in Bethlehem, God came to be with man. He came in fulfillment of his promise. We see God's providence at work, even in the birth of this child. We can all think back in our lives and we can see God's providence, his providential care of us. We can look back on our life and we can recognize that at some point of time in our life, we were faced with a choice. And God put someone or cause some event to occur or put someone in our life that provided the influence on us to make the choice to do right or to do wrong. God's providential care over us is there for us to see if we would but look. God's providence is involved in the birth of this child. In Luke chapter 2, the first five verses as was read before us tells us immediately that it came to pass in those days, in those days. This was the time appointed by God. Now Peter tells us that this time that was appointed was foreordained before God established the world. 
First Peter chapter 1 and verse 20. It was the day that Daniel had prophesied some 600 years earlier. Looking forward, Daniel would say, in the days of those kings, speaking of the Roman kings, in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed. Looking back on that event, Paul would say, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman. Hundreds of years had passed between Daniel and Paul, but they both focus on the same event. The time would come when God would bring fulfillment of his promise. Maybe we could imagine in all those hundreds, yeah, even thousands of years that have passed, people have longed for the fulfillment of this promise. They have looked with great anticipation to the fulfillment of this promise. Maybe some have decided that God had forgotten about his promise. Maybe some had decided that God had forgotten about them. But Peter tells us that God is not slow concerning his promises. He operates on his own timetable and not on ours. So at the right time and in the right place, with the right mother, he fulfilled his promise. He sent his only son to this earth to redeem us from our sins. God's providence is shown even in the way he carried this out. Now, the, t the text tells us that Caesar Augustus sent out a decree that all the world, and to Caesar Augustus and to the Roman citizen, the world meant the Roman Empire. As far as they were concerned, that was the world. So all the world would be sent out, the English standard says, to be registered. The King James tells us to be taxed. That is, they had to go to be, to be registered for the purpose of taxation. Now scholars will tell us that most likely property owners were required to pay tax to the Roman government and it's very likely that Joseph being a descendant of David, there might be some family heritage property that he would be responsible for paying tax on. So the text tells us that all went to be taxed, everyone to his own city, and Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea, into the city of David, which is called Bethlehem because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. I chose to read from the King James, even though the text we read earlier was from the ESV, because the King James uses this phrase, being great with child. That's going to be something that we need to remember. As we think about 
this decree, we know that Joseph is up in Galilee. He is of the house of David. To the Jews, lineage was important. We've kind of gotten away from our understanding of our roots, where we come from. We, many of us can trace our roots or our lineage back two or three or four generations. Not very many can go very much farther than that. But to these ancient Jews, it was important that they be able to trace their lineage all the way back to the sons of Abraham or the sons of Jacob. It was important that they be recognized as a descendant from Abraham, but which of the 12 tribes were they descended from? That was important to them. It was important to God. Lineage was important. So Joseph and Mary were descendants of King David. Matthew tells us that Joseph was a descendant of David through his son Solomon. Mary also was a descendant of David through his son Nathan, according to Luke's account. This is to show, however, the fulfillment of the promise. God had made David a promise that we can see in 1 Samuel chapter 7, or 2 Samuel chapter 7. That promise of that everlasting kingdom that promise had been made. So it was important that the lineage of Mary and Joseph be established. The birth of Jesus was to be born, uh, Jesus was to be born in Bethlehem. Messiah was to come from Bethlehem. Micah chapter five and verse two made that very clear that it would be from Bethlehem Messiah would come. But there was a problem. The Messiah is to be born in Bethlehem, but Joseph and Mary are up in Nazareth. Not only are they up in Nazareth, Mary is pregnant. And she's not just pregnant. The King James says she was great with child. That means she's big pregnant. She's big pregnant. Now, have you ever wondered how that might have been? There, there, there's about a 70 mile distance between Nazareth and Bethlehem. It's not going down I-65. It's pretty rough country at that time. They're gonna be traveling by foot, and Mary probably mostly on the back of a donkey. She's not traveling in an air-conditioned SUV. They're not out for a Sunday afternoon joyride. This is a difficult journey for anyone, especially a woman who is great with child. Mothers in the audience, remember when you were great with child? Basically what that means is, and the timing of it shows us that 
It's a five to six day journey between Nazareth and Bethlehem. That means Mary was probably within her last couple of weeks of her pregnancy. You remember what it was like in the last couple of weeks of your pregnancy? Probably not a fun time. How would you have felt about jumping on the back of a donkey and riding some 70 miles, riding for five to six days in that condition? Now, those of you in the audience who are fathers, can you imagine just for a moment what the conversation might have been like? You want me to go where? You want me to ride on what? I don't think that was a very comfortable time. And I don't know whether that conversation was all that pleasant or not. How is God going to carry that out? Well, he's going to use Caesar Augustus to do it for him. He uses Caesar because otherwise... It's not likely that they're going to make that trip. See, Caesar thought he was in control. He was, after all, the first Caesar of the Roman Empire. He ruled a domain that went from North Africa all the way to Great Britain. He ruled what they considered the civilized world. He was the man. He was in charge. Or so he thought. Because... While Caesar was ruler over his kingdom, God is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. God is in control of everything. So we can see, as we can see throughout the Bible, that God used even pagan peoples to carry out his will, to do his work to make sure his will is carried out. And so the Savior is born. And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. You know, the birth of Jesus was like the birth of all other children in Bethlehem and Judea during that time. The birth itself was nothing any different than any other birth. But the circumstances surrounding the birth of this baby was unlike any that had ever been born. This baby was wrapped in swaddling clothes just like other Judean babies would have been. But this baby was attended by angels. This baby was set apart. Set apart by an announcement from heaven itself as the redeemer of the world that he came to be. Scholars are, are mixed in regards to the meaning of the word in. But this is not the Bethlehem bed and breakfast. It's not an inn in the sense that we understand it. Most scholars believe that this was part of a private residence. 
possibly the lower level of a home that was multi-level, where the, the, the living quarters upstairs had already been occupied, and the only place left was the lower level where the animals were kept. Some scholars believe that it was a cave, a cave that was adjacent to the home that they were going to, where they were being hosted. And it was there in this cave where the animals would be kept and tended to at night. But regardless, there was no place for them in the standard living quarters. There was no place for them in the inn. We can't help but think about that. Every time I read that passage, I, that, that phrase jumps out at me. There was no room for them in the inn. There was no place for them. And I can't help but think that in our busy life that, and all the hustle and bustle of our life, Sometimes we get so busy with our careers and our families and, and, and taking care of the things at home and, and doing the things with our families that we want to do and the sports and the activities and all of the things that go on in our lives. Sometimes I have to stop and think, did I make time for Jesus today? Do we make room for Jesus in our hearts we have to stop and think from time to time, do we have room for Jesus? Not in our homes, but in our hearts. And this birth is announced with a glorious announcement from the angels. And there were in that same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over the flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. You know, God brought the greatest gift that mankind has ever been given. But he used some of the most humble to do it. An unwed mother, an humble carpenter who would serve as the earthly father of our Lord. Nothing special about them except for their faith. According to the world's standards, just average folks, but God used them to do a great thing. And now he chooses to announce this great miracle to these humble shepherds. Shepherds in Jewish society of that time were in many of the elite Jewish homes would have been looked down upon they would have been looked down upon because of their occupation. Because of their occupation, they would not have been able to perform the ceremonial aspects of Jewish life. And as such, they would be, they would be considered 
inferior. But you know, God uses the humble. He uses those that will humble themselves before him. We can't imagine how these angels must have felt. Were they afraid? I, I, I think certainly I would have been. After all, they've never seen an angel before. And I can't imagine the scene that was before them. But the message they received was an ancient one. The promise of, of redemption had been waiting since the fall of Adam and Eve. The promise has been given so many people in so many different ways over so many years. It's taken thousands of years for the right time to come, which reminds us that it's not on our time, time frame, but it's on God's. We may not see it, but God is faithful to his promise. And this was a sign. The angels were given a sign. That sign, there was a sign for you that you'll find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. As Isaiah had said so long ago, for unto us a child is born, for to us a son is given. Isaiah goes on to add, and the government shall be upon his shoulders and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there can be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice, with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. This son came to fulfill that prophecy of Isaiah. God had preserved the tribe of Judah through their Babylonian captivity in order that this Messiah would be presented to the world. This baby came in very humble way. He came to this world the son of an humble virgin but he was the fulfillment of the glorious promise and while that child is, is, is ordinary in the way that he came that child came to be king he came to be king not as an exalted king upon the earth he came to be glorified in heaven to rule and to reign over his kingdom forever. Instead of coming to this earth to sit on a throne in Jerusalem, he came to this earth to take the cross in Jerusalem. The one who John said was the creator of all things that were created was presented to us in this world in a manger. In a manger, a feeding trough 
for animals. A rough structure that was not meant for human use, much less a king. But this son of Mary, who was born in a barn, was surrounded not by royalty and perfume, but surrounded by animals and the smell of their waste. The manger is a beautiful scene that reminds us of the birth of this wonderful baby. We see those scenes all around us during this time of the year. But the manger serves to book in another rough structure. The other rough structure that Jesus came to fulfill. A rough structure not fit for humans, much less a king. Jesus, as the very son of God, existed before he came to this, this earth. And he knew when he came to this earth what his ultimate fate would be hanging upon that cross. But without the cross, the, the manger is meaningless. The message we see in the bookends of the manger and the cross is the story of the fulfillment of all the promises God's made for our redemption throughout all the ages. The question has rung out. God how are you going to do this? The answer is in those two caves. From one, he would, he would emerge as the son of man. From the other, he would emerge as the exalted son of God with all the glory of heaven. Because Jesus came, because he fulfilled his mission on earth, we can then be invited into a relationship with God. A relationship with God through the one and only Son of God. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man cometh from the Father except by me. We have to accept that this baby that was born in a manger was the eternal Son of God. We have to accept that and we have to believe that because he was. He came to this earth to experience what we experience. You think about these shepherds who would have been in many Jewish homes unwelcome and unwanted. But when they heard that Jesus was in a manger, a place they would be familiar with they readily went to see what this great thing was. We sometimes can find ourselves in a position where we look at God and he's so, we think of him as so lofty. He's up there in the heavens and we can't see him. We know that he's there, but he's unapproachable, unattainable. But Jesus came to earth we have the same sign that the shepherds had. He came to earth. And because he came to earth, he knows what we're going through. 
He knows all of our struggles. He knows all of our temptations. He understands our pain. He understands our grief. He understands all of our sorrows because he's experienced them himself. Jesus, this baby in the manger, grew to be the Christ that hung on the cross and died for our sins. We can only benefit from that sacrifice if we yield our life to obedience, to obedience to the words that he left us to follow. So I know this. I probably haven't said anything that you haven't heard a hundred times before. But I do know that if we don't yield our life to be obedient to that one who came in that manger and died on that cross, it's all for naught. He's just a baby in a manger and a man that died. But if we yield ourselves to him, we can have everlasting life with him and all the glory of heaven that he went to enjoy. Whatever your need, if you're subject to God's invitation, this is a great time for you to respond to the gospel call as we stand and sing.